Welcome to this episode of Solution Spotlight. I'm your host, J.D. Miller, and I'm excited to be joined by our partners at Infor, as today we're going to dive into business agility. If you're not familiar with Infor, they're a global leader in business cloud software specialized by industry. Infor develops complete solutions for its focus industries, including industrial manufacturing, distribution, healthcare, food and beverage, automotive, aerospace and defense, hospitality, and high tech. Infor's mission-critical enterprise applications and services are designed to deliver sustainable operational advantages with security and faster time to value. Over 60,000 organizations in more than 175 countries rely on Infor's 17,500 employees to help them achieve their business goals. Today, we're gonna to talk about distribution business agility. So just when we thought the pandemic was over, there are new situations coming up that have a major impact on us and the distribution industry. Business agility is more important than ever before to respond on the fast changing world. And with that comes transparency and information sharing. So how will all of this impact on distributors? After the break, we're joined by Hakan Strombeck and Richard Vandermeulen to dive into this and oh, so much more. Stay tuned. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. And first off, tell us a little bit about yourselves. And, and Hakan, I'll start with you. Uh, thank you for having me, JJ. Um, yeah, so my name is Hongkan Sternbeck, working as an industry strategist at Infora, so focusing on the distribution industry. Been around software for quite some while, so working both for management consulting, different software companies, everything from startups to, to big ones, and done some real work, I usually say, so working within the um, automotive industry as, as well as the logistics. So see myself as a kind of humble disruptor to some degree. Excellent, excellent. Richard. Well, thank you very much, JD. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure being here today. So um, I'm a, uh, I'm a uh, solution consultant, uh, vice president at, uh, at Infor in my uh, day job, but, you know, uh, my heart really is, is in, in supply chain management. And my guess my speciality really is in that global trade and global uh, supply chain finance world that, uh, that makes the, uh, the world tick, if you like. Fantastic. Well, there's a lot I want to dive in here today in, in around distribution business agility. And first, I'll start with you, Richard. Talk to me about what, what's the state of the nation when it comes to supply chain and distribution from a global perspective? Yeah, I. Uh, it's kind of funny, uh, JD, because, you know, until until about two years ago, I had to explain to my wife and to everybody else what supply chain was actually, uh, what it's all about, right? So I, I jokingly sometimes say that, you know, supply chain really, you know, came to life, the birth of supply chain, a modern supply chain is uh, is really kind of like February, January, February 2020. Uh, and, and for the obvious reason, right, that's when the, uh, the, the big pandemic uh, hit. And what we've seen ever since then is just this, you know, supply chain almost at its worst, right? Demand and supply mismatching that are just so phenomenally large that we haven't really seen anything like it in, in, in the history, certainly not before 2020. Um, in, we've seen, you know, the demands, uh, sorry, the supply really diving out, diving in, uh, in when, when, the, when China kind of shut the, the factory of the, of the world. But then very quickly, the the um, 
the the the, the high streets kind of shut down as well and of course that had a huge impact on the demand side and just when we did that stimulus packages started kicking in and all of a sudden you know the demand started going up but we couldn't really do anything about the supply side quick enough and ever since then we've been constantly chasing this this equilibrium of trying to create that equilibrium of, of su supply demand matching and just when we kind of thought we got a little bit of control over all of this you know the the geopolitical situation uh, happened at the beginning of this year you know combined with with um the the, the labor shortages creating other you know significant pressures on our uh, on our extended supply chain so yeah it's uh it's 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 chaos as usual really interesting so is this temporary hakan or is this a new normal for us i would say it's a new normal we have i mean on top of what richard said yes there's it's also the inflation whether that is driven by the uh, the war or not it's to debate so but still i mean it's a completely new situation with the inflation on top of that we see which we probably will come back to to some degree New operation models, new business models is occurring in a number of different industries. And of course, distributors being in the middle of everything are heavily impacted on that. So, so it happens a lot all the time. And there is much more uncertainty. And I would say agility is more important than ever. Yes, we have said that for decades now, I would say, but, but it really is nowadays because so much is happening at the same time. So... For sure, it's a new normal and you need to adopt to it. So how does all this play into the world of distribution or what are the major trends in supply chain and distribution, Richard? Yeah, good question. So if you look at distribution, um, I think I think you probably got the the, the worst the worst of, of of all the changes that are happening. So of course we all are having to deal with the 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 changes that are that uh, uh, that the 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 the, the crises over the over the last couple of years and and the geopolitical situation. We're all affected by this. But if you look at distribution specifically, there's also a lot of changes in the way that. Uh, we we look at the operating model, the changes in operating models that uh, that we are being forced to apply to our business as as supply chain or distribution experts. So you know, I feel for everybody kind of listening to this who is who is who is in the distribution world because man, it's not easy to uh, to deal with that, right? If I if I look at you know historically, you'd be a kind of a you would you'd be in a B two B world, right? Nice and easy. You ship, you know, you get full pellets in, full pellets out, nice and easy. A lot of customers now and lots of distributors, of course, are also now going to a B two C model, and then often we're forced to do both of them with this with out of the same warehouse, which is really really challenging, right? It's no longer a full pellet out. No, it's now parcels out well how the heck am i going to do that using the same same um, same capabilities and technology that i've that i've been using until now and and one example i i, I always kind of kind of use this is if you look at like nike right and it doesn't need an introduction everybody knows who nike is but they grew their what they call their direct to consumer business you know, significantly over the last 10 years, right? Where previously in 10 years ago, it was about 15% of their revenue was direct to consumer. Um, it is now more than 50%. And if you look at it, look at it in dollar values, it's like six times more that they do now in 2022 than they did in 2021. 
So if you can imagine the changes that the, that the supply chain teams, the distribution teams within Nike have to go through from instead of selling it to you know, the footlockers of this world, now all of a sudden selling it directly to consumers. Enormous changes have happened there in that, in that world. What about you, Hakan? Yeah, to add on to what Richard just said, I mean, um, the business is changing. The need for having their own uh, e-commerce platforms for individual distributors has increased quite, quite a lot. And some of them are already there. Some are still struggling a bit. And most of them are really geared to run a B2B business, you can say, on the e-commerce platforms. On top of that, Many distributors now are using the, the Amazons, as I call them, of the world. So they are actually also selling by the, the big market platforms, which means, of course, more integrations, more different. You can't really talk about omnichannel. It's, it's omnichannel and omnichannel to some degree. So you need to be sure that you actually can fulfill all the requirements for the, from the different business platforms and that is creating a lot of complexity for the distributors because to be really sure that you can deliver on the um, to Amazon as an or as an example to fulfill their kind of needs, you'd need to have transparency and the control of your warehouses, your distribution centers is crucial. Otherwise, you might run out of stock, which is something no distributor really wants. So, I mean. E-commerce platforms are just one portion of things that if one haven't sought to look into that in a, in a big scale as a distributor, it's, it's high, high time for that, I would say. Hakan, I want to stay with you. Clearly, there's a lot of talk about labor shortage. What do you see? Yeah, it's I started up probably in North America, but now it's kind of all over the place. And the problem is it's shortage and you get employees in and you get employees out in the same pace, you can say, because it's it's a kind of work you walk through to some degree. And at the same time, if you're a distributor with a high number of SKUs, a high number of articles, it requires some experience to be, you know, geared for the, for the work, really to be efficient in your work. Just give an example how you actually can utilize technology to, to manage to some degree uh, uh, this kind of lack of resources or the shortage of uh, resources, resources, experienced resources. So uh, a customer of ours, Midwest Wheel, uh, they actually had a problem with, with people coming to the company, working for them quite short time, and they are in the auto spare parts kind of distribution industry, and they have so many articles, so many products, so it takes some time for a, for a new employee to work at the counter, making sure that they are selling the right stuff. And actually, if they are selling a tire, making sure that everything that should be along with it are in the package, so to say. But they utilized machine learning from us to be able to actually get the newbies to act as they were really experienced in the work. And they had such a good result, increasing the cross-sell, the upsell, dramatically. And the interesting thing with Midwest Wheel, they did all of this in 90 days and their IT department is, I mean, it's less than five people. So it's not an, a question any longer for, for big companies to utilize advanced technology. It's also for the smaller distributors to really take the leverage of the technology. Yeah, what about you, Richard? Talk to me about the labor shortage talk. 
Yeah, I, I, I love, I love Hokan's uh, example there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna change, change tact a little bit here. So, I mean, we, we obviously we see huge shortage in, 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 in drivers and in labor, labor shortage in, in, in general, and, and kind of technology, auton autonomous driving is only becoming more prevalent now because of that, right? Um, obviously, we're, we were going down that path anyway, but it's only accelerating now. And, and one of one of one of our one of our customers who's who's doing a lot in that space is a company called P3, and that's in the taxi business. Um, and I keep telling my taxi driver when I go to the airport that you know what you you probably should kind of be uh, you know sort of looking at uh, what you're going to be doing in the next ten years because you're probably not going to be a taxi driver anymore. Um, you know what P3 does is they have uh, autonomous taxi uh, cars uh, taxis. And but they have a whole system around it. So everything from, you know, a, a maintenance hub to uh, uh, making sure that it gets charged on time. It's all fully autonomous. And this is a startup company. And what I love about this is, you know, they've already got their contracts in place with a, with a couple of a couple of cities in, in Europe. Um, but they've chosen in for because of our knowledge within that world and the ability, you know, they've, 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 they've signed a 15 year contract with us because they understand that we are really good at making, making that transition from a startup business into what they project to be in 15 years time. So I'm really proud and, and, and honored that we are part of that journey that, uh, that P3 is going through. And one can add to that also partnership is important. So one partnership is with, of course, with our customers. Another one is the partnership with have with AWS. I mean, a company like ours, we, even though we are big, we can't do everything ourselves. And the investments that our AWS are doing in R and D every year is tremendous compared with us. But you can also actually summarize the investments Microsoft, Oracle and Google are doing all together, and it will still end up below whatever AWS is, is putting into to their kind of investment in R&D. So we are really utilizing you, you know, services from AWS and, and package them into our solution. Machine learning is one area, but there are other areas like data lake and natural language processing and stuff like that, because it doesn't make sense for us to, to do all that kind of stuff. It takes too that long time and it will probably not be as good, to be honest. So we should focus on the things that we are really strong at on uh, and actually utilize whatever AWS have, have in their kind of baggage. Yeah, I think that's, if I can just piggyback on that, I, I think you're, you're spot on there, Okan. Um, I mean, until about a year ago, I, I really didn't look at AWS as anything else than you know, it's the is the server farms that we have our our systems running on, until we figured out that the the microservices that AWS has is phenomenal. They really understand, certainly in certain industries, they really understand uh, what is required, and it's a it's a beautiful marriage between Infor and AWS that can you know provide a lot a lot of strength that. Frankly, we've we've only just started tapping into that. I think there's a lot, a lot of goodness to come from that. I want to stay with you, Richard. Talk to me a little bit about sustainability. Yeah, I, I you know, I, we we don't have a single conversation, of course, anymore. Rightly so, that doesn't uh, talk uh, or, or talk about sustainability. And you know, we talk about 
electrification. We talk about, you know, the, the amazing things that uh, British Vault, for example, are doing in the, in the UK, building, you know, this, this mega factory of, of, of batteries. But the one thing that I always kind of like to emphasize as well, this is two examples. So one of them, one of them is, is our relationship with, with Parley. Now, Parley.tv, absolutely check it out. It's a it's an organization that uh, incentivizes fisher fishermen and people in, in you know near the ocean to take out the plastic out of the ocean, and they pay those pay those guys, uh, and then the plastic gets goes through uh, a set of uh, sorting locations to ultimately be reused, and you can have your you know your MX green card is now these days is actually made out of Parley plastic. In the same way as your, you know, your um, your Adidas shoes, you can have Adidas shoes that are made out of Parley plastic. It's a phenomenal thing. But the challenge that they have, of course, is how do I make sure that you actually are using plastic that came out of the ocean? And this is where info comes in. So this is a beautiful story of where we're providing the traceability uh, uh, together with, you know, the sustainability story around uh, around uh, what we're doing with that, what Parley is doing with the plastic, that uh, that really is driving a phenomenal way of how technology can help us be more sustainable. And one that maybe is even a little bit more, um, you know, out of left field is what we're doing with the likes of Puma and, and Levi's. So, in very often we see sustainability initiatives that are, you know, let's face it, they're, they're more sticks than carrots. But if you utilize supply chain finance, you can actually create a carrot mechanism. And that's exactly what the likes of Puma and, and Levi's are doing. They're working together with the IFS, the, 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 the part of the World Bank. And the financing that they give, the rate of the financing that they give to their suppliers is dependent upon their sustainability efforts and sustainability index. So the IFS will give you a cheaper rate of financing as a supplier to Puma or Levi's if you're, you know, if you're scoring better. And it's a, it's wonderful for Puma because they can utilize the, the benefits of extending their payment terms. And at the same time, they're using this beautiful carrot mechanism to improve the sustainability. And, and let's face it, all the wider ESG. Uh, mechanisms uh, for their uh, for their uh, international uh, based uh, supply base. So uh, I think they're great stories. And also on top of that, I think sustainability is also an area where we maybe not for the first time, but we really require to sharing information and be very transparent across the full supply chain from the smaller vendors in the beginning out to the consumer, because that is the way we actually, as a society, can improve uh, sustainability over time. So that will require a completely new way of sharing information across across a number of different um, um, shareholders in the process. Hakan, we hear a lot about added services. How do you see this fitting in with the new operating models? Yeah, that is completely changing the game to some degree. I mean, uh, as Richard mentioned in the beginning, the uh, the manufacturers are starting to do direct delivery in higher degrees. So you can say to some degree the distributors are starting to be shortcutted, and that's a space where they, I mean, to stay relevant, they are starting now to add a number of different kind of services on top, and it could be a lot of different stuff. It blurs up the lines between different industries and different businesses, I would say. But to give a few examples, I mean. 
Now we see rent, rentals within fashion. Who would thought, think about that a couple of years back in time? I mean, high, high brands rent out their bags for maybe a season or for a weekend or whatever it could be. Or you have the ski wares that are rented out for a week's vacation. Those are things that you didn't even think about. So that is something that distributors can do. And you have also this kind of lightweight manufacturing, as we call it, where the distributors might do the last part of the manufacturing within their facilities rather than the manufacturing themselves are doing it. And then we have the kind of cross-packing stuff and kitting, which could then be a building material distributors who's actually packaging everything to the building size based on the work that needs to be carried out the next coming day. And of course, then the uh, distributors need to have an insight on the job management for the, the work construction side so that they can package dry stuff. And they can actually, by looking at whatever is packed for the next day, add the, the right tooling to that. So it's in a rental fashion. So it's becoming a rental business out of something that is, you know, traditional, just taking in goods and selling it onwards. So, and then we see on top of that, like one of our customers at Baroque that is having and doing drilling heads, which are then based on consumptions of the drilling heads and in the end, how many holes you maybe drill or, or, or stuff like that. So it's getting to be a much more complex setting where the distributors can stay relevant by adding those add-on services, but of course also hopefully make a better margin. And to be able to do that, of course, they need to have a kind of foundation and an infrastructure and software that are supporting this, that, that, that comes by itself, so to say. Richard, do you have some more examples as well? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm listening with great intent here to Hokan. I think there's, there's, there's some great examples there. Um, one that I can certainly think of is, is kind of on the other side of the, the spectrum, maybe. But, you know, if you look at the automotive world, um, the, the, the OEMs, right, the guys who are actually uh, assembling the, the cars, they've always kind of outsourced the, the, um, the inventory that needs to be held of the components at the assembly plant. And they always kind of push that re responsibility to the tier one suppliers. Now, certainly kind of linking back to, to kind of the opening uh, part of this, this podcast where we talked about the challenges uh, within kind of inter intercontinental transportation because of the mismatch in, in, in supply and demand. Um, you see companies like like Molex, for example, they adopt the, the concept of end-to-end -end supply chain visibility through the concept of control towers and, and control centers to be able to make sure that they can predict what is happening from an inventory perspective at the plants where the, where the goods are needed, so at those factory plants like Subaru, for example. And by using using uh, artificial intelligence, they can predict exactly what's going to happen through to that uh, to that inventory and make sure that if something goes pear shaped in the execution of of supply chain within that distribution from Molex's DC to you know Subaru's DC on the other side of the planet, they can instantly take action before the 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 situation actually becomes a real life dollar dollar situation for for Subaru and I think you know it's possibly not so much of an added service per se but an added 
ability to provide better service to a model that has been existing for quite some time using technology that is, you know, just state of the art. Excellent. Well, final question for you. And Hakan, I'll start with you. What makes a technology provider relevant going forward? Yeah, it's it's about partnership and it's about long-term partnership to some degree. I mean, uh, Richard mentioned one of our customers has signed a 15 years contract. So that's, that talks about partnership. But some things we we I mean we think strongly in industry specificity. And what do we mean by that? We deliver out of the box a lot of specific feature and functions on what we call a micro vertical level because there is a difference if you are a food and beverage distributor compared with if you are distributing in example a, a building material so and by having that the customer needs to do less work just to do the you know the pipe and plumbing if you call it that the other thing is what we call the composable architecture which is actually something that was stated by Gartner it's a way of looking how combine software in a new fashion and have something that keeping those different components or services you need together with shared capabilities. So, so it's very much about shifting the focal point in your, the architecture. And one people are talking about enterprise application platform and those kind of things as the new focal point. So that is something that we see as a part of our solution is to actually deliver that kind of um, platform. And then it's all about being, being current or being up to date with your software every time. Because as mentioned in the beginning, business agility is, is there and business operating models are changing in a high pace. So we as a vendor, if we have a multi-tenant cloud solution, we have the opportunity to deliver those news capabilities required in a much higher pace to our customers than ever before. And the customer benefits from that because we, to some degree, are taking care of the business changes when it comes to models that are evolving all the time. So in short, it's about industry specificity. It's about getting a modern architecture with, with composable thinking, and it's about being in the cloud. Yeah, if, 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 if I may take two seconds to add on top of that, and then I fully agree with you, Hokan. If, if I look at the kind of the supply chain, specifically the supply chain processes around this, what, what we can see as well is that there is kind of a blurring between kind of planning and execution, right? Previously, they were very, you know, uh, siloed, you know, you plan and then, then you start executing. But especially in, in a, in a, multi you know, or an omni-channel fulfillment, especially in a in a in a in a cross-country or intercontinental supply chains that so many of you are running, all of a sudden it's clear that you're you're aware you're still planning on one side, you're already in execution on the other side. And, and if something goes wrong within that execution, it is going to have an impact on the planning downstream, right? If you get goods out of China and you're 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 already in execution of moving those things on a boat to you know to Europe but in Europe you're still planning the factory based on those components so if something goes wrong within the the physical flow of those goods into into Europe it affects that execution is actually affecting the planning downstream so i see there's a real need to look at the 
the, the warehouse management processes, the planning processes, and, and kind of the execution and visibility processes. You kind of need to look at these as like, like um, continuous processes that really require a, a, a significant amount of, 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 um, of integration, if you like, throughout, not just from a systems perspective, but also from a people and process perspective. I think there's a, there's a lot to be gained of looking at those as extended processes rather than the siloed systems that we, we think of so often here when we think about IT. This is great stuff, so insightful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Richard and Hakan. If you're inspired to learn more about what Infor is doing in this space, please go to Infor.com or connect with Hakan Strombeck and Richard Vandermeulen on LinkedIn to learn more. Thank you for listening.